0: Welcome everybody, it's Horsehide to Cowhide, America's Pastime, featuring your host, Ricky Winkwich. Hi, my name is Ricky Winkwich. I'm a DJ at Pipe Bomb Radio and a lifelong baseball enthusiast. You are listening now to Horsehide to Cowhide, America's Pastime. Baseball's long and traditional history has had so many moments which have stood out over the course of time. In each episode, we will highlight an event or two that will either inform you of or remind you about a specific key moment in the game we all know and love. Each week, we will have guests on the show who will discuss various moments in baseball's past. So we hope that you'll join us every week on our journey back in time through America's favorite game. On this week's show, we cover the dates of June 1st to June 6th. Let's get to it. June 1st, Lou Gehrig, making the only appearance as a pinch hitter in his 17-year career, begins his streak of playing in 2,130 straight games when he comes off the Yankee bench to hit for rookie infielder Pee Wee Waninger. Ironically, Waninger is the player who ended a consecutive game streak of 1,307 consecutive games when he started the May 5th contest in place of Everett Scott, the team's regular shortstop in 1925. Here's Joey Jerzynka, of the Eastern Observer giving his thoughts
1: and memories about the event. So we look back at the 2,130 consecutive games streak and by the iron horse by Lou Gehrig, former New York Yankees first baseman, and of course the man to don the number four uniform in pinstripes, which will never be broken again. And you look at June 1st, 1925, that date will forever live in infamy because he replaced someone that was the starter at first base. The regular first baseman, Wally Pipp, he was in a slump. And all of a sudden you have this kid, Lou Gehrig, that comes in two years after making his major league debut and he never looked back. And he ended obviously his career with a 342 batting average, which was absolutely surreal. And then he broke the record of 1,300 consecutive games. It, it's surreal to look and say to yourself that this most likely will never happen again until Cal Ripken Jr. did it in 1995 with the Orioles. But you look at some of the the mishaps, if you will, that Lou Gehrig had in 1933. I remember, I believe, was against the Washington Senators who he f- concluded his career against. Um, he was struck in the head by a select pitcher. Um, I do not remember the name. He remained in the game, though. And then in 1934, the following year, this I remember for sure, he remained in the game. Uh, He was hit by a pitch. And for obvious reason, we know that baseball players back then, they did not wear uh, batting helmets. And until about the 1940s, they played with no helmet. They played helmetless. And uh, with Gehrig and the Iron, uh, with Garrig, a.k.a. the Iron Horse being knocked unconscious, um, he was knocked cold for five minutes. I think that that was absolutely crazy that he was able to come back and play um, the next day with him being unconscious. There is no doubt about it that he had a concussion, you'd figure. Um, or maybe not. We'll never know. And, uh, and I believe that the, the consecutive game streak was something, again, that you'll never see again in terms of the way that it was done by Lou Gehrig. You get get struck in the head multiple times and you're still back in the game the next day, especially with the certain concussion protocols that are in place today.
0: June 1st, 2012.
2: And now Santana, perhaps a strike away. Johan sweeps a little dirt away from the left of the pitching rubber, steps behind the rubber, tugs once at the bill of his cap, takes a deep breath, and steps to the third base side of the rubber. Santana into the windup. The payoff pitch on the way. Swung out and missed! Strike three! He's done it! Johan Santana has pitched a no-hitter in the eight thousand and twentieth and 20th game! In the history of the New York Mets, they finally have a no-hitter, and who better to do it than Johan Santana, and what a remarkable
0: story. During this game, however, there was a very, very big controversial incident that happened. Leading off the sixth inning, former Mets star Carlos Beltran had lined a shot past the third base bag which was ruled foul by third-base umpire Adrian Johnson. TV replays, however, showed the ball clearly hit the chalk line and should have been called fair. Manager's challenges were not an option for another two seasons. Therefore, Johan Santana was credited with the no-hitter, leaving the San Diego Padres as the only team left in Major League Baseball with not one no-hitter pitched. June 2nd, 1935. Babe Ruth announces his retirement from baseball. First, we will have a clip of the Bambino. Then we will also have commentary from Alex Alcazaz, a Texas sports writer, and Joey Jazinka from the Eastern Observer, giving both their opinions and memories about this current event.
3: Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. You know how bad my voice sounds. Well, it feels just as bad. You know this baseball game of ours comes up from the youth. That means the boys. And after you're a boy and grow up to know how to play ball, then you come to the boys you see representing themselves today in your national pastime. The only real game I think in the world, baseball. As a rule, some people think if you give them a football or a baseball or something like that, naturally, they're athletes right away. But you can't do that in baseball. You gotta start from way down the bottom when you're six or seven years of age. You can't wait until you're 15 or 16. You gotta let it grow up with you. And if you're successful and you try hard enough, you're bound to come out on top just like these boys have come to the top now. There's been so many lovely things said about me, and I'm glad that I've had the opportunity to thank everybody. Thank you. 1935,
4: the final year of Babe Ruth. The former New York Yankee slugger was way out of his prime his body really looked it. He was 40 years old, but he was not ready to leave baseball forever. While his playing days were seemingly over, Ruth had an ambition to manage a baseball team, and to say that he wanted to do it bad would be an understatement. When his time with the Yankees came to an end, he was traded to the Boston Braves. There was considerable attention as Ruth, for Ruth He was an old player, but the Braves thought that he would be, quote, a gate attraction. Ruth was apparently promised the possibility of becoming the manager of the Boston Braves. While Ruth did report to spring training and played with the Boston Braves, his physical performance just continually deteriorated. Ruth could not play the way he did when he was younger. Again, it was his age. He was out of his prime. There was really nothing left of him. <laughs> What's sad is that Ruth was deceived by the owner of the Braves because Ruth was given a broken promise, or I should say, empty promise. Because it was learned that the owner of the, of the Braves had no intention of making a manager and gave him no off-field duties. Now, while Ruth still played, he was an assistant manager to the skipper of the Braves, Those two did not get along. So having said that, being given empty promises, being used, Ruth's final year in baseball did not go well. His stint with the Braves, the best way to describe it will be as a comedic lying joke. Obviously,
1: following his retirement, he played, uh, I know, a lot of golf. He was an avid uh, eater, drinker, that's for sure. He was one of the I think it was six players to be, uh, or five, if you will, to be inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. I know it was uh, Ty Cobb and Honus Wagner and Babe Ruth himself, Walter Johnson. I do not remember the fifth, but uh, those were the main four, 1936. And with that being said, he was inducted in there um, in Cooperstown. And he was the last person that we would see as both a pitcher and a position player and to be a utility player similar to what babe ruth was many years ago we have not seen it until today where we've seen the angels uh, japanese pitcher uh, shohi otani who is both a designated hitter can also play the field and also is a stellar pitcher he is the last person that prior to otani obviously that made a humongous impact on both the, the pitching position as well as all of the outfield positions and also in the infield as well.
0: 1941. Upon their arrival in Detroit, the Yankees learned the sad news that their captain, Lou Gehrig, 17 days before his 38th birthday, had died in his sleep due to ALS in his Riverdale home. On this date 16 years prior, the Iron Horse broke into the starting lineup of the Bronx Bombers.
1: Looking back at Lou Gehrig's streak of 2,130 games exactly, coming to a close on April 30th, 1938 was probably one of the saddest moments imaginable within Major League Baseball at the time. People saw a steep decline in batting average. He didn't hit a single home run. He went hitless against the Washington Senators in his final Major League appearance. And then he knew that something was wrong with him following select interactions with fellow teammates, ball players throughout the league, and then the following year, In 1939, he considered himself the luckiest man on earth in a fantastic speech throughout Yankee Stadium on July 4th, 1939, which obviously now is known as Lou Gehrig Day for the New York Yankees. And I think that looking back at that speech, it was one of the most humbling things a ball player could ever do. He contributed 17 years of major league service, and then he was inducted into the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown in 1939, and I think, again, by doing that, it showed the impact that he made in the baseball world and the world in general. He made select cameo appearances in certain movies, and wild enough, he held the streak of 2,130 games consecutively played all the way until Cal Ripken Jr. did it with the Baltimore Orioles when he played over 2,600 games. Absolutely stunning stuff. June 3rd,
0: 1937. Although there is no audio or video footage proof of this event, it is credited that Negro League star Josh Gibson is credited with a drive that hits just two feet below the rim of Yankee Stadium, about 580 feet from home plate. It is estimated that the ball would have traveled nearly 700 feet if unimpeded. June 4th, a major league record eight shutouts are pitched in the day's 16 games five in the American League, and three in the National League in 1972, a record that still holds till this date. June 4th, 1974, 10-cent beer night. Home plate umpire Nestor Shylack stops play with the score, tied at five in the bottom of the ninth, giving the Rangers the forfeited victory over the Indians at Cleveland Stadium. The promotion which sells an estimated 60,000 cups of beer to a crowd 25,134 fans, becomes unmanageable when drunken Cleveland fans attacked Texas outfielder Jeff Burrows and the umpires. June 5th, 1989. The Toronto Blue Jays christen a new home.
2: The Skydome would house a hotel, five restaurants, the biggest ever video scoreboard, and to top it all off, a technological wonder. Of course, our rotatable roof is is uh, world-renowned by now, I would assume. Uh, when it's fully retracted, 90, 91% of the whole stadium will be in sunlight. This was a simple solution that achieved what we wanted to achieve, which was a round dome on a round stadium which could retract and telescope all at one end of the stadium and still remain in its retracted position. So you have a combination of straight rollback motion panels and a panel which moves on a circular track. And that's the secret. Amazingly enough, the Sky Dome was completed on schedule. And on June 5th, the Blue Jays moved in, full of fanfare for the most uncommon ballpark
4: anywhere. Modern day baseball stadiums, perhaps it would be bragging if I said some of them are well state-of-the-art in forms of luxury, retractable roofs, air conditioning, amazing food, comfortable seats, that's what the world needs, the world of baseball needs for fans to go to a game in person and enjoy it to the most. Seats really have to be comfortable, the food has to be good. By for the prices, well, will tell a different story, but overall, people still enjoy the good food. Why is it so important to have these modern baseball stadiums have those kinds of features? Well, it's the world we live in today. Baseball itself needs to modernize, and the atmosphere for which the game is played has to be modernized. It's about attracting the crowd. It's about giving the fans a reason to keep coming. And as I mentioned, it's about... Having the fans enjoy it all to the fullest. A hotel in a, par- in a park? That would be a-, a real way of modernizing. A hard rock cafe? Well, that would be absolutely phenomenal. There's always ways to improve a stadium. Of course, the cost is a story to talk about. And a video display board, well, fans will want to see replays. And they will want to see it by definition, wouldn't they? It's all about giving the fans what they want and giving them a reason to keep coming. It's about having the fans say, wow, this is absolutely amazing.
0: Well, what was the result of the game where they opened up their new home? I'll let the track speak for itself. But first things first, like the very first
2: pitch, Delivered by Jimmy Key, call a strike, and put away for posterity. Blue Jay fans were itching to test out the new fences. And in the second inning, big Fred McGriff obliged. August delivers a swing and a fly ball. Hit deep left center. Hit way back there. Going, going, going. Sky Dome, and it's Freddie McGriff. But the Brewers got the best of the Blue Jays and took
0: the Sky Dome opener five to three. June 6th, the Angels adopt a new mascot. <laughs> the, rally Monkey. They had this on the scoreboard here in right field. <laughs> June 6th, 2000. Thanks to the Angels video crew playing a clip from the 1994 movie Ace Ventura Pet Detective on the Jumbotron, the rally monkey is born. With the words rally monkey superimposed over a monkey jumping up and down in the Jim Carrey movie. The crowd goes wild when Anaheim scores two runs in the bottom of the ninth to beat the Giants 6-5. That wraps up this week's episode of Horsehide to Cowhide, America's Pastime. We thank Joey Jazinka of the Eastern Observer and Alex Alcazaz, a sports writer from the lovely state of Texas, for their contributions to this week's episode. All clips are used under the Fair Usage Act, accredited to MLB Baseball, Fox Sports, and multiple baseball references websites everywhere. Tune in next week for another edition of Horsehide to Cowhide, America's Pastime.